It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. Stand strong, know you belong. It's your anthem, sing this song. I'm trying to bring forth an old childhood dream. When I was a young kid, about eight years old, we heard of the name Rocky Balboa. We didn't know how it would change our lives. Well, as an Italian-American growing up in a home where people would just speak Italian and no English, I didn't know if there would ever be hope that Italians would look better than just a mafioso image. I thought maybe we'd be some hope for our people. And then Rocky came. And I remember the day when I was sitting in the movie theater and Rocky Balboa came on and know what we were going to expect. And then we came out and we were standing tall and strong because something happened. Italians looked really good that day. And not only that, we actually saw a figure who was humble, teachable, that became a star. Now, many of you would say, so what? Okay, for me, though, it was something that was really good because I realized that boxing is something that is uh, is a good sport. You can learn a lot from it. And it could even equate to how we see our relationship with God. I mean, that's important for us. That's why we want to call this first, um, this sermon series, a new sermon, the first one is called The Fight. And we ought to know our contender as we get into the ring as we're walking with God. You know, I know I've I've shared with you that Rocky Balboa is someone that we can learn from. He actually was a philosopher. I know somebody will laugh. But when you think about the quotes that Sylvester Stallone had in this movie, he had quite a few of them. Some will make you really laugh and some will make you even wonder, you know, where did he get that from? But there was a particular one. There's a few of those quotes that I want to share with you. Because uh, even, even Rocky said this, he says, every champion was once a contender who refused to give up. You know what I mean? He's like, he was like, he was, everyone is, a, every champion was once a contender who refused to give up. And he said another one, and uh, I love the way he said, he goes, it ain't about how hard you, hard you get hit. It's about how hard you get hit and keep moving forward. It's how much you can take it and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, some of you would think, man, that makes no sense. But it does. Because for a boxer, when they're in the ring and they have to wear these heavy gloves, and after a few rounds, they feel like 100 pounds on your hands and you're all taped up. And you have to lift up your hand quickly, fast, to get your opponent off off of their feet, off of balance, so that they could fall to the ground and possibly hit them hard enough and pound them hard enough that when they hit the ground, they'll never get back up again. It's like, knock them to tomorrow, rock. That's what it's all about. So when you're in the ring, the purpose and intention is to go in there to knock the person out. But when you're wearing these gloves, they can be real heavy. And it can be tough. And that's why he's saying you're going to have to take a shot, but you got to be willing to give it. And I think that's a lot of what happens when we're looking at our lives and we're looking at what we've been dealing with with this invisible enemy of COVID. Our lives have been turned upside down. Often people would wonder, when are we going to finally get out of this situation? But we find ourselves still in it. How many of you thought by Easter, when it came out in March, how many of you thought by Easter, which was April 12th, 
you, we would be out of this. Just raise your hand unless you're, okay, come on, help me out, virtual reality here. Come on, I mean, make it sound like you guys are a roaring crowd. Talk to me today. Yeah, there you go. Okay, let, let the people out there know that we have a big crowd, even though we really don't. But here's the thing. Raise your hand, because I was a fool to think, I, I was a fool to think that we were going to be out of it by Easter. And now it's the end of August, and we're still dealing with this, where you still have to wear your mask. And we will, we will continue to do that. But the challenge is, is that we're living with an invisible enemy, and we have no idea how to deal with this sometimes. But I think it's because we don't know how to deal with it mentally. We don't know how to deal with it psychologically. It's a challenge. But so what? It's a challenge, just like it's a challenge to enter into the ring to fight. But also we have another invisible enemy. It's the great enemy, Satan. And what we're going to talk about today is we have to understand, too, as we're in this fight, we really do have to understand and know the contender. We have to know our contender. So we have to understand, too, that when you and I have trusted in Jesus Christ, we've entered the ring with the enemy. Some of you would think, well, no, 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 I really don't want to enter into the ring with the enemy. I really don't want to make him angry. I'll just kind of stay back in the corner, maybe leave the arena. No, God's not saying that. God's saying you got to get into the ring. We're going to see in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 12, that we're going to see there's a fight. And each one of us are in it, whether you like it or not. You may not be the confrontational type. I happen to be. I love wearing these gloves. I mean, I feel strong when I'm wearing these gloves. My wife's like, simmer down, son. But it's like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm excited because of, you know, just growing up and kind of, you know, walking the streets and we always had to have our hands up, hands up. So we would have our hands up. But a fight is not just about having your hands up and punching people. There's more to a fight than that, and we'll learn that today. But we have an invisible enemy, and his name is Satan. And his tactics, his devices, his deception, his schemes, which we'll talk about shortly, and the power and authority given to the believer in Jesus Christ, that its power originates and it's found in God. The source is God because of his son Jesus, the person and work of Christ. And so it's been, given, it's been given to the believers, and we need to know that in the book of Ephesians, we can understand that there's a battle, there's a ring, there's a fight. But we have to understand, too, that we have to learn the what, the how, and the why. And we'll see that in chapter 6 of Ephesians. But let me give you a little bit of a background. Ephesians was a church that began with Priscilla and Aquila in Acts 18, and then established with Paul in the third missionary journey. He pastored the church for three years and then handed it off to Timothy, whom he was discipling for 18 months. So the primary goal for Timothy was to defend the truth, the doctrine, the teaching of the apostles from false teachers. And we know that false teachers who were pseudo-teachers, pseudo coming from the Greek, is that their half-truths would come in form of a presentation, but then behind it was a bunch of lies. And Satan was leading that because we understand that he is a deceiver. He blinds the unbeliever. He's known to lead people astray, and we understand that. But the idea is that he had to stand firm as an overseer and pastor for this people who were congregating together as a church, as a people. And even in 1 Timothy 1, 4, it says fables and endless genealogies is what he was fighting against, myths, people coming up with Gnosticism, with truths that Jesus Christ really, truly wasn't the son of God. 
So in the, in, in the understanding of the doctrine, the biblical support of it is that he is. Even so far as that Satan was pounding and getting against this church where scholars believe the two mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 20, that it was two individuals there that were possibly elders of the church, and they fell away, became deceivers themselves. And so as we think about it, we have to understand that Satan, if he can deceive elders, if he can deceive pastors, then a church could potentially fall. And we have seen that even in our own culture. Within the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years here in America, many churches have fallen because many pastors and elders have fell as well. And so as we, we enter in the ring, we must be ready to fight in Jesus' name. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the power and authority in Jesus' name? Can I get an amen? No, no, y'all not convincing me. Can I get an amen? amen? Boy, I'll tell you, I don't know if I'd intend to ring with you. I'd be your coach and try to help you out and get a little bit more excited about it because you do. We do. In Christ, we have the power in Christ. But it's not about what we have. It's about what God has through us because the source is in God. So as we know our, we need to know our contender when we enter the ring with our contender, God provides some things. And let's look. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Because when we enter the ring, he gives us strength to fight. Strength to fight. Just look with me here, Ephesians 6, 10. It says this. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Now, let me stop at finally. Because you'll be like, wait a minute, Pastor Renner. What do you mean by, let's stop at the word Finally. Well, let me give you a little more background about Ephesians. You have the first three chapters that will talk about theology proper, about who God is, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The last four chapters, or excuse me, the last three chapters, four, five, and six, will talk about theology practice. So now in in chapter six, we're talking about practice. So it's not just a debate. It's not something Paul's talking about. He's not making some kind of dissertation saying, finally, let me explain something to you. Actually, what the word means there would be better, in my opinion, would be from now on. From now on, meaning there's a practice here. I think that so many Christians, we struggle with understanding about putting the armor of God. We don't even realize we need to put the armor of God on because we don't know about the armor of God. We don't understand it. We've never experienced it. But it's not about experiencing it. It's about the fact that God has given it to us. And all we need to do is ask God to help us to put it on daily. This is important because finally means from now on, meaning we, you, I, the believers in Christ need to practice it. It's not just there in case there is a battle. You need to always put it on. And so it says this, and the word strong, be strong, is in the passive. It's in the present passive. In the Greek, it means this, that it's continuous in the present, but passive that it's a source of strength that's external. It's outside of us that comes in us that gives us the ability to be able to fight. And so as we get in the ring, it's not our strength. It's not our ability. It's not that I have the ability to enter into the ring with Satan because I don't. I would cower up, go to the corner, run out of the arena, and never talk to him if it was my own strength. But God tells us right here through Paul the apostle and says, be strong, meaning you already have it. You have everything you need to pertaining to life and godliness, 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. You have everything necessary. And if you do, then you need to stand in it strong. It's the idea of it's a continuous action through God's source and provision of strength. And it's important for us to discern that it's not our wisdom, not our knowledge, nor our discernment, but the Lord's. Define 
internal source that provides internal strength. So as we look at that, we have to understand it's in the Lord. It's an important phrase there in the Greek, in the Lord. It's possessive, it's strength and sources in the Lord. Another verse that we see in Ephesians chapter 3, 16, Paul says it again, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you being strengthened with power through the spirit, his spirit in your inner being. So again, he's strengthened, that's passive form, saying it's God's strength. It's not as though we could conjure up strength in and of ourselves, but it's God's strength through us. So that's an heiress passive. And then we look at Romans 4, chapter 4, verse 20. When Paul was talking about Abraham and about the promise, he said, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. So the word strong again in the passive saying that his strength did not come from himself, it came from the Lord because he had a promise and he was to hold to that promise. And even when times are difficult, because we know Abraham was a man who, who was a pushover, he was one who was passive-aggressive. He wouldn't deal with much. He was not a confronter. But yet God continued to challenge him that if I'm handing you my promise, my unconditional promise, then you need to move forward with my strength. You know, it's kind of similar today when we're going through a difficult time and it's really hard and we don't understand why we're going through what we're going through. It's when we see, and it doesn't matter whatever doubt comes our way, we have to stand strong. We have to believe in the promise the word promise is the declaration to do something with implication of obligation to carry out what was stated. Meaning when God makes a promise, it's going to happen. Because you're dealing with God who is the source, perfection, holiness, righteousness. He'll never fail, even though we do. And God gives us the strength. And so we have to understand that God is the one who provides that. Just like Paul said in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 he said, be strong in the grace. Again, a passive verb. And grace, unmerited favor. So God's given us grace and sanctification and the strength that comes not from ourselves, from God. It's when we submit. It's when we die to self. When we realize we can't do it ourselves. It's important that we recognize that. Now, the second thing is that when we enter in the ring with our contender, God provides a way to stand against the devil's schemes. A way to stand. So let's look at it, verse 11. And let me stop at the word put. You might say, okay, again, we've got to stop at the word put. Yes. Because what it means is just putting any kind of thing on oneself. Really, the word is clothing. So clothe yourself. Put yourself on. So, you know, I thought about this. I said, you know, every day we put on our clothes, right? It, we don't even think about it. I mean, it's routine. You don't think about, let's see, should I put on my right leg or my left leg? Uh, you just think about what you're going to wear, but you really don't think about, in fact, we're so fast, we're like, and we just put it on. And we're like three seconds, we put everything on. We don't even think about it, right? But it would be inappropriate if you walked outside without any clothes. It would be inappropriate to have your birthday suits on because it would be scary and it would gross people out. And honestly, you don't want to see this in anything else but clothes. So against God's law, it's also against God's law and it's against the law of the land to not go outside without clothes on because you got to put them on. 
I mean, if you kind of change the channels and you look at strange shows that we watch, all of a sudden you see naked, afraid. What in the world's that about? And you see that people are naked and not afraid or afraid. I'm like, that is the strangest thing I've ever seen. And they cover up the parts and make it look like they're clothed, but they're really not. And I can't imagine just doing that. So this is a really strange thing, but that's the world that we live in. So equally, would it be inappropriate for a Roman soldier to go out to war without his armor? A boxer enters the ring, he must enter the ring with the proper attire. He must make sh- making sure that he has his gloves and they're taped up real well. Why? So they won't fall off. He has to have the right shoes so that he won't slip and fall because if he does, his opponent will come after him. See, the idea is to stand on your two feet. And if you slip and fall, you know when a boxer, when, when one boxer knocks out or knocks down another boxer, the first thing when the referee goes over to try to get him to come up is that he goes and he attacks him. His coach, you know, his manager's saying, attack him, attack him, because he wants to knock him down because he's already been pounded out in his head. He's just kind of dizzy, doesn't even know who he is. That's, you got to have the proper attire. You got to have the proper shorts, the lightweighted shorts so you don't feel heavy when you're in the 10th round. You have to have the right people in your corner so if your eye gets puffed up and beaten up, they have the necessary medicine to take care of you to bring the swelling down so you can see because if the eye swells up, you can't see, and then the ref comes over and he calls the fight. And that's the same way with the Christian. We cannot go out in the ring without the proper attire. We need to put, clothe ourselves with the armor of God. See, that's why, and we'll talk a little bit more about that next week, but it's important to understand we have the whole armor of God. God has not kept anything from us. He's given us everything necessary to fight. But he goes on to say that you may be able, meaning dunamis power. The word dunamis in the Greek means dynamite power so that you may be able. God gives you the power. You have the power in Jesus' name. If you kind of push back, if you go toe-to-toe and you're standing toe-to-toe and the ref is there and your opponent's there and your contender's there and you're sitting there, you're going to go like, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. You're not going to show that. No matter if you're scared or not, you're going to stand strong, put your shoulders back, put your head up and say, yeah, what you want? You want some of this? And so you sit back and forth and he's going to taunt you and he's going to, I will break you. And he will taunt you and everything. But you just sit back and you just stand strong. You don't cower. You stand toe to toe with your opponent. And so That's what it takes because here's the thing. When you're putting down the armor of God and you're standing strong, it's in the middle voice, which means you have to put it on. But sometimes we don't know what to do with it. Sometimes we don't even know how to do it. And that's okay, but could we confess or admit or ask for help or say, Lord, please help me to put on the armor of God. Help me to die to self. Put on the shield of faith, the girdle of truth. I mean, what would it look like? And so it's important for us to understand that that could ultimately become routine for us if we do that every day. We can't wait for a battle to happen. We can't wait for a difficulty in our life. we got to keep doing it. And so it's important to understand that because we have to stand. And the word stand means in your position, that you are in your position justified, positionally sanctified, that who you are in Christ is what you stand in, not in your own strength, not in my own strength, but in who we are in Christ. And God gives us the ability, the dunamis power to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look at even when you think about putting on, here's another 
verse in Ephesians, he says, as Paul was saying, and to put on the new self. Same thing. Every day, putting on the new self. Created after the likeness of God, the image of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Why? Because if the believer, if his purpose and the purpose of the believer is to become conformed to the image of Christ, then we too must make sure we put on the new self every day because righteousness is established in God. Holiness is established in God. We did not, we cannot, never will we be able to gain righteousness in our own strength. It only comes from the Lord. And then he deems us holy, which doesn't make any sense in my finite mind because I don't see myself as holy, but I know it's because of Christ, my advocate, that he claims me to be holy because of Jesus. And so it's important to understand that and recognize that because the word created is God's work of, it's passive. That's another verb. It's passive. It's God's working in us. So what are the schemes of the devil? Um, What are, well, let me stop here and say this. The word schemes is craftiness. It means sly, scheme. It's a scheme. And then the word actually comes from what we, we would know the English word to be method. Okay, methodotos. And method is two words in the Greek. Let me share this with you. One is meta, with, and odos, which is a road. So literally it means with a road. And you're like, okay, Bruno, that's all clear. I get it now. With a road. That makes a lot of sense. Well, hold on. Let me just go on a little further. Because the devil, the Satan, operates on one road, one lane, one avenue. What road does he travel toward? The mind of the believer. That's why we need the helmet of salvation. The helmet we'll talk about next week was not only on the soldier over his head, but it all came down by his cheeks. And he'll play mind games with us. He'll try to confuse us. He'll make truth to look like truth because he'll speak half-truths and then bring the lie. And he'll, he'll reel us in to get us to believe even emotionally. That's why when Satan attacks, he attacks emotional and our emotions. He attacks because we see something and it's true, but then he attacks us and says, isn't it true? Don't you want to get back at them? Don't you, don't you want to tell them where they really need to go? I have a place reserved for them. Come on down. I mean, that's what he would, he would want to say. But the schemes, as he starts, can be similar to what we would think of. He's a liar, and he's always lying. I mean, we know that's one of his schemes, because he's a liar. Even in John 8, 44, it says, you are, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil. Boy, that's, he, he didn't mince any words. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, that wasn't very encouraging. But Jesus says, you are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not standing the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. John also said in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning. Now, not someone who struggles with sin, but someone who's constantly, routinely practicing sinning is the, of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So he's a liar. Pretty much, he speaks half-truths. And as I said, he brings forth the appearance of truth with confidence. Even something you and I have experienced emotionally, 
or physically or mentally, he might say something like, do you remember when you messed up here? You remember how embarrassing it was? You notice how those people didn't hang out with you anymore? So what happens? I start to think, oh, I've got to perform better so people will like me. And he begins to create that lie. He will confuse you with guilt and shame. Secondly, what he'll do is he'll accuse you and I. He'll accuse the brethren. We see in Revelation 12, 8 through 10, it says this, but he was defeated and there was no longer a place for them in heaven. Talking about Satan and his angels. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God in God's tribunal court. You have God who's the judge, the father, and you have Satan who's there accusing. He's accusing believers. He's accusing of of coming against us due to our inability to trust God in certain situations. He's accusing us of our failures. He's accusing us of our rebellion. He's accusing us of our sinful habits. He's accusing us of our slander toward others. He's accusing us of our gossip. He's accusing of us our unwillingness to die to self. Here's the important point. Satan is correct. We are sinners and commit many sins daily. But we have an advocate, Jesus, who stands in for us so we can stand up against his schemes. That's what it comes down to. He can accuse us all day long, but if we stand in the word of God and who we are in Christ, then we can stand against the schemes of the devil and put on the armor of God because then it's God's strength. It's not ours. And so whatever he throws at us, we have to stand in. By the, word, by the way, the word against, going back to uh, Ephesians 6, 11, when we say stand against the schemes of the devil, the word is pros in the Greek. It means a face-to-face encounter. It means you get in the ring and you stand toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the enemy. Your shoulders back, your head up, you, just, you don't cower. You stand strong because you got the power in Jesus' name to do it. And so you stand strong and tall because I love what a person who wrote a book called Dress to Kill, he said this. He talks all about spiritual warfare throughout this book. He does a fantastic job. And he says, Paul's portraying a soldier who is looking his enemy directly in the face, eyeball to eyeball. This is a soldier who is standing tall. His soldiers are, are thrown back. His shoulders are thrown back. His head is lifted high. He's so bold. He's daring. He's courageous that he is glaring fearlessly right into the eyes of his adversary. You know what adversary means? Anti-righteousness. That's what adversary means. Satan himself cares nothing about righteousness. That's why he's accusing us day and night. And he will do whatever he can to penetrate us till we fall. Also, he disguises himself. It's really just in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, he says, And no wonder, for Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He disguises himself as an angel of light. It's, uh, it's, it's understood so clearly that what it means is that he pretends to be someone he's not. And what he does is like he did in Genesis chapter 3. He did it with Eve. 
He said, did God really say that? Created, he just tried to you know, plant doubt in her. And then when she gave in, he tried to make it like he was on her side and baited her for the trap. And that's what he does. He'll make comments like this. You deserve this. This is what you've always wanted to do. You're going to let this situation slip away from you? Don't let him or her get away with it. He will do whatever he can to pretend like he's on your side because he'll attack your emotions when you're angry, frustrated. He'll start, he'll say, yeah, you deserve to tell that person what you really think. But we fail to pray. But we fail to put on the armor of God. And that's what ends up happening. He disguises himself. You know, the devil, the word devil is stated 40 times in the New Testament. And it's the word diablos. Let me break it down for just a minute. You have dia, which means through, penetration. And you have balos, which means to throw, launch. So you have throwing something to penetrate. This is what Satan does. And I love, again, what Rick Renner said in his book, Dress to Kill. He says, the devil is one who strikes repeatedly again and again until he finally breaks down a person, person's mental resistance. Once that person's mental resistance has been breached, the enemy strikes with all of his fury to penetrate and take captive the person's mind and emotions. He's playing mind games. He loves to do it. Even if you think you're standing strong and tall in the Lord, he comes at you in another way. He'll just find a little sliver of a crack. That's all he has to do. That's his tactic. That's his strategy. In fact, let me share a couple of strategies with you here. One is that he'll just say, you don't need God. You don't need him. You could do this all on your own. In this Western American society of America, independence is spoken highly. You know, so he'll, he'll just, you don't need God. He'll just feed your ego. He'll feed it well. And we all love to hear our name. We all love to hear how great we are. So why not just, let me just tell them, you don't need God. You could do this yourself. In fact, don't bother God. He's busy on other things. You, you got it ahead of these other people. You got your life together. He'll do this too. He'll say, you're not good enough. Now he could say two ways. You are good enough or you're not good enough. And what he'll do is he'll attack, you. He'll, he'll attack and challenge your worth. He'll make you feel hopeless and helpless and shameful. And he'll say, you're just never going to be good enough. Or he could even say this. If God really loved you, you wouldn't be struggling like this. He'll just place doubt. He'll throw in that doubt of uncertainty, insecurity, isolation, and then you'll feel like, I'm all alone. But Michael Jackson said, you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. Because with God, he's always promised to be there. Then fourth, God wants to make you happy. Now, I don't get this one because he twists the truth. Of course he doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be godly. But if you get on social media, you will not be happy. You'll see everyone else and how wonderful their lives are going. You're thinking, what about me? My life is not good. And you'll start to just go in and just say, I'm not. And Satan will see that emotional disability there and he'll say, I'm going to attack that. That's how he works. We've got to know our contender. We've got to know that he's there trying to fight against us. Joshua Harris, 
a former pastor, a sad story. He wrote a book in 1997 entitled Kissing, Dating, Goodbye. It was about 20, he was 20 years old. It's over 20 years ago. I remember that book. I was a youth pastor, associate pastor of a church, and we tried to encourage our children, our teenagers to live a life that's pure. And he continued to advance that anthem throughout his years of being a pastor. The premise of the book is if you're, if you're dating before marriage, it's a training ground for divorce. He's the, he was the pastor of Covenant Life Church in, in Gaithersburg, Maryland, a mega church, well-known all around the world. And last year, he denounced his faith and got divorced. His statement was, I am no longer a Christian. He removed all his publications and apologized to the LGBTQ plus community for his treatment of them. Just this couple of months ago, before, or just prior to COVID, he went out on a march to support gay pride. Just falling apart. I don't think he was putting his armor on. And I think sometimes when we get comfortable, we think it's okay, I don't need God. And I gathered that he fell away and the enemy attacked him because all he was doing was pounding him and pounding him and pounding him and pounding him and pounding him, penetrating through his mind, trying to get him. If I, if I can get this pastor, this well-known megachurch pastor who has influence all around the world amongst a bunch of Christians, I can pound him and pound him until he gives up. And he did. A well-known worship leader from a prominent church said this shortly after Joshua Harris came out with his statement, time for some real talk. I'm genuinely losing my faith and it doesn't bother me. Like what bothers me now is nothing. I am so happy now, so at peace with the world, it's crazy. This is a soapbox moment, so I, here I go. How many preachers fall? Many. No one talks about it. How many miracles happen? Not many. No one talks about it. Why is the Bible full of contradictions? No one talks about it. How can God be love yet send four billion people to a place all because they don't believe? No one talks about it. Christians can be the most judgmental people on the planet. They can also be some of the most beautiful and loving people, but it's not for me. I denounce my faith. He walks away from Christ but he was a worship leader, leading other people to worship God, and he falls away. That's what he's doing. Satan was pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding, mind games and mind games, penetrating the mind until he said, I got another one. That's why we need to put on the armor of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we can't do this on our own. We need God. We need him desperately. We've got to lean on. We've got to fight in the name of Jesus, and we've got to fight strong. We've got to die to self. Because this is what we're seeing in our culture and our society. So many people are doing ministry. We're not praying for our pastors. We're not praying for one another. We expect performance, performance, and performance. What have you done for me lately? That's the mindset. Instead of getting in the game, in the ring, and fighting, and standing toe-to-toe, face-to-face, eyeball-to-eyeball, and saying, I know who I am in Jesus' name. It's not easy. I have been battled. My wife and I have been battled more than any time close to what I can remember in this past year. I have cried out to God at the end of my bed. I was downstairs in our bedroom, downstairs all the way down in the bedroom, and I'm just crying out to God because I know this is a fight. 
But we can't see the church moving forward if we're not praying. We can't see the church moving forward if we don't repent. We can't see the church moving forward unless we're confessing we need God. That's what September 24th is all about. Masks on. If you can get your food with your mask on, if you can get your clothes with your mask on, you can come here and pray with your mask on. Because it's time to fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. It's the fight, y'all. That's what it's all about. That's what it's going to take. Because God, ha- God has provided us a strategy in the struggle. He's provided us. We're not here to fight against one another. Can you imagine a lineman in football sitting there and blocking another lineman? Huh? Or a basketball player taking the ball up and then his, one of his players is trying to get the ball away from him. Huh? Or a soccer player just playing, also one of his teammates takes the ball and goes in the direction of the other team, so he scores a goal for the other team. Huh? You don't fight that way. The battlefield is like someone with their armor, all of a sudden they start shooting at someone else, their own. Huh? That doesn't make sense. But the strategy is this, and it's clear. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. In the heavenly places. That's three times in this book. In a realm that's outside of the natural world. It's in a spiritual world. We're not to wrestle against each other. You're not my problem. You're not my problem. You're not my problem. You're not my problem. I'm my own problem. I got plenty of problems right here to deal with. And I need to go to the Lord with it. Talk to my wife. She'll tell you all my problems. But that's what it is. It's hard because all I want to do is attack. I want to go after everyone else. You're stopping me from doing all this stuff. No. I'm stopping myself. There's Satan, the enemy, and then there's me. I can be my worst enemy. And that's why it takes the engagement. That's why that word struggle, if you want to look at the word struggle, wrestle, it's actually an athletic term in the Greek. You can say struggle, battle, struggle against is really a good, it's a good way of just interpreting it, but it's an engagement in a challenging struggle. That's what the word means in the Greek, engagement in a challenging struggle. So when we're engaging in the ring, and he's throwing combinations, and he's throwing uppercuts, and I'm just getting bam, bam, bam. I got it, and I'm about to fall. I got to stand up and get back on my feet and not give up. That's what it's going to take. That's what it's going to take because the prince of demons who has all of his demons in a structural form is coming out, and he's pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding, working hard against us. And we go in there and say, I don't need my armor. I'm good. I'm good. I don't, need, I don't need my armor. I'm good. I don't need God. I'm good. We can't do that. We can't do that. It's the fight. It's the fight. First Timothy 6, 12, it says, fight the good fight of the faith. The word fight, guess what? Similar to the one in, in Ephesians 6, 12. Struggle. Athletic. Fighting against your opponent. You're fighting, but the word means Agony, where we get the word, it's agone. It's pain, it's struggle, it's a challenge. It's a, it's a similar word to when Jesus was fighting in Gethsemane for the sake of the gospel at the cross. And now Paul is saying we got to fight in our sanctification. We got to suffer, we have to have passion, we have to have agony. 
And that's what it's going to take because we're in the heavenly realms. So what is the fight, the struggle, the agony? Let me ask you a couple questions. Are you willing to give up your own pleasures? Our need for the freedom of living for self? Willing to give up our personal dreams and agendas for the sake of the gospel? Are we willing to die for the sake of the gospel? Faith to faith. We have the content of faith. And we have the testimony. Revelation 12, 11 says this. This is how you can conquer Satan. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb. This is how we do it. We do it by conquering him with forgiveness, confession of sin, righteousness, and holiness, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the, pre- the, the, the peace that we have through the Prince of Peace. He doesn't like when we want peace. He doesn't like when we confess sin. He doesn't like when we forgive someone else because then he doesn't have a hold on us. And by the word of their testimony, faith, the lamb that was slain, our content of faith in the gospel, and faith, the testimony. Faith to faith, Romans chapter 1, 16 and 17. Faith to faith, that's righteousness of God. For they loved not their lives even unto death. They were willing to give it up, all of it, die to self and willing to die. That's what we have to be willing to do. We have to be willing to die. You know, this is the beauty of it all. Satan may win a couple of rounds, but he will never win the fight. He'll never win the fight. We're more than conquerors to him who's given us. We're, we're super Nikes. And Nike in the Greek is conqueror or it's overcomer, but we're super Nikes. We have more than we need. God has given it to us. So when we go in the ring, we can fight. We can fight in Jesus' name. We can fight in the strength of the Lord. We can fight. So I want to encourage you this week. I want to encourage you because we have a contender known as the adversary. We're fighting. He wants to fight to destroy us, but we know we have a champion, the advocate, who's overcome our adversary and is fighting for us every day. We have the armor of God. So let's take that moment. Let's take that moment and ask God. So whether you're watching virtually here, Facebook Live, or you're here in this room, I want you to take a moment right now and pray. I want you to bow your your heads for just a moment. I want to just simply, if you can bow your heads and close your eyes. and No one's looking. Children, nobody, no one's looking. Out there on Facebook, don't look. Okay, here. How many people in this room right now or out there Facebook Live are struggling with putting the armor on and fighting the enemy? Just raise your hand real quick. I'm just going to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I know there's some hands up over there on Facebook Live. It's time to fight. This is the opportunity. Let me encourage you this week. It's real simple. Let's look and study verse, uh, chapter 6, 10 through 12 this week. And I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. Put on the armor of God. The helmet of salvation, the sword of the word, the shield of faith, the girdle of truth, the shotting of the feet, the breastplate of righteousness, to fight off the fiery darts of the devil in the name of Jesus. We need to pray that every day. Father, I pray that our people, all of us, will learn to fight, that you would help us to just teach us, Lord. Teach us how to put on the armor of God. 
I pray that every day will be like routine when we put on our clothes, that we will fight in prayer for our pastors, for our church, for our families, for our marriages, for our nation, God, for our president, for all that we need to for racial reconciliation, for, for peace to come upon our nation and around the world, that you would get rid of this COVID, that there would be a vaccination so we can move on. God, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would teach us to fight in prayer and that, Lord, we would be a fighting people for the kingdom of God. We love you, Lord, and we surrender our lives to you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. If you could just, um, just, part, just go outside of, of the two doors, I would appreciate that. Facebook